<clears throat> so church, I, I know that there was a, an event here yesterday, and I just noticed um, that up on stage right now, there's a little jelly bean. And I'm tempted, I have to be honest, to eat it. But I don't think I should. No, no, I'm, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I won't later. I won't. Oh, man, it's so good to be back with you this morning. Good morning, church. How are you? Good, good. You're doing well? That's good. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I told last service and I told Matt, uh, you know, there was uh, that song that we, we last sang, you know, there is nothing better than you. Man, I, I would, I'm going to be singing that, that line all week long. Lord, there is nothing better than you. There is nothing better than you. Um, man, that, that, that got into me this morning. And I hope it gets into you. There's nothing better than Jesus. I want to just uh, talk a little bit about uh, the message that you're hearing in the world. I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, but we are currently in a land of political propaganda. Are you, are you aware of this? No, no, you're not. Okay, well, let me tell you that there are a lot of messages uh, just laced with political propaganda at the moment. I don't know if you've noticed this. You turn on the television, you turn on the radio, you, you drive down the highway, and there they are. There's, there's all sorts of messages biting for our belief. Everybody wants for the, us to believe in them. They have the best message and the best agenda and the best scheme for their constituents. And they all want us to believe in them. I mean, uh, you look at all of the candidates and, and they will say, uh, we this candidate doesn't have this and they don't have that and, and therefore you should and because they won't and we will and I'm going to make sure to lower them in order to, uh, to make myself feel better. And in all of it, they want you to believe their message. And it got me to be thinking, what's our message? What's the message of the church? I mean, as we get into this, as we get into this, uh, the last of this series, uh, living like the church in a messy world, uh, I'm just asking, uh, Whiting Christian Church, what is our message? Uh, what is it that we want people to believe in? Uh, when we uh, talk about Jesus, when we sing songs like, Lord, there's nothing better than you, what is our message? Uh, what's the thing that we want people to believe? I mean, if we say that we're here, that we exist to help people find and follow Jesus, uh, then what is, what is the thing, uh, what's the voice box, uh, what's the message that we want them to believe? Paul the preacher is working with the church, and after he tells them about the eternal nature of love, that that Jed so well talked about last week. As he talks about that eternal nature of love that weaves us back together again, uh, he begins to talk about the, the Gospel. 
And as he talks about the Gospel, he says, I want to remind you about this, and I want you to hold fast in this. I want you to hold on to it. I want you to grasp it. I don't want you to let go of it. I don't want you to deviate from it. I don't want you to drift away from it. I want you to have it and to hold on to it. I want you to have this Gospel that if you're going to live like the church in a messy world, the message that you are giving, the message that you're preaching, the one that you talk about, the one that you hold on to is none other than the Gospel. That there's a substance and a content to the Gospel. He's in fact going to say that the Gospel is what has saved you. You see, there's a content and a substance. The meat of the Gospel that comes around the person of Jesus. And he's going to begin to talk about the resurrection. And he's going to walk around the Gospel and he's going to say, you can't, you can't go too far from this. If you want a message, you better be focused in around what we're talking about and good news because that's what saves you. You can't enter into this half-heartedly. You have to hold on to it. And so that we can present a message to the world, so that we can help people find and follow Jesus. So that we know what our message is, Paul's going to say, hey, I've got some facts for you. I've got some real basic things that you've got to know. I've got some foundational uh, things, uh, some stuff. That's the really famous Greek term, stuff. He says, I've got some stuff that you've got to hold on to, that you, you ought, to, ought to hold closely, that you can't go away from, because it's the Gospel. And then he's going to say, I have a story that you need to tell. There's some talk about transformation that I don't want you to forget. That there's a narrative that needs to be shared. So that you and I can figure out what that message is, I want you to open up for the last time this series, Living Like the Church in a Messy World, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go ahead and open up those Bibles. Open up the apps. Grab a Bible from one of the, the chairs. Uh, there's Bibles underneath. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, hey, there's some basic things that you need to know about the Gospel. There's a substance, there's a content to the Gospel uh, that you and I ought to be walking with, that we ought to hold on to, that we can't forget, that we need to hold tightly. There's some basics. He said they're of first importance to you. Things that you can't forget. And he gives them in four different verbs. He gives us four verbs to try and uh, talk about the things uh, that are a core for us that we need to hold tightly. Look, look with me in verse 3. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Hey, this is important. You have to hold on to it. It's foundational. He says that Christ died for our sins. There's the first verb. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was 
buried, there's the second verb, that He was raised, the third verb, on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared, for, there's the fourth verb, to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. There's four verbs, four basic things, uh, four facts, uh, four substances, four elements to the Gospel that we, we all have to keep with us, that we have to hold on to. They're of first importance uh, for those that would say that they have a message to share. If we have a message, if the church has a message for the world, if we are to be the church living in a messy world, there's four, four verbs that ought to be close to our heart. And the first of which is that Christ died. That's the first verb. It happens there in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins. Uh, Christ died, everybody. Uh, Jesus came so that He might die. Now if you go back into the Old Testament, if you begin walking through the pages of Genesis and afterwards, uh, you know that uh, between God and humanity, there, uh, there was this chasm, there was this canyon that opened up. It was because of sin. We can't get from one side to the other without Jesus. Uh, there, there is this irreparable sort of thing. Uh, we can't get there on our own. And, and God has to make a way for us to be covered so that God and humanity can be in relationship with one another. Uh, God has to initiate the action. And He does. I mean, throughout, the, throughout the Old Testament, he, he made a way through a constant sacrifice of animals. But it wasn't sufficient. You see, there was all kinds of animal sacrifices. And these animals were sacrificed really uh, so that, that God's people could constantly know a covering so that they could co continue to be in the presence of God. So that they could be God's people. It was about a covering for them. And the author of Hebrews comes out and he clarifies Jesus' place in all of this. And he said, yes, Christ died to be the ultimate once-for-all sacrifice. He goes back into the Old Testament and he says, yeah, I know about all those animals. Were, uh, their blood was uh, covering us so that we could continue to be in relationship with God, but it was insufficient. It wasn't good enough. And he comes along and says, but Jesus is good enough. And his sacrifice when he died was a covering forever. And what Paul is communicating here is, hey, there's a gospel that you need to know. Part of the message, part of the facts, part of the basic elements, the foundation that you need to hold on to is that Christ has died for our sins. He's a once for all sacrifice. He's the one whose blood covers us forever. Uh, it is through His blood that we can be made right with Him. Isn't that good news? And Paul says, I want you to hold on to that element. I don't want you to let that go. Uh, don't deviate from that. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And not only does He say Christ died, that's the first verb, but notice what else He says. Verse 4, that He was buried. You don't bury people who are alive. You bury dead people. Did you know that? 
what Paul is saying is that Jesus was dead. He, there are some people today that would say that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, that He swooned or that He fainted or that He was mistakenly placed in a tomb, but He wasn't actually dead. And Paul is trying to tell us, he's saying part of our message, part of the facts and the basics of our foundation of the Gospel, a part of the message that we deliver uh, to a world living in messiness, is that not only Jesus died for our sins, but He was buried. He was absolutely, verifiably, undeniably dead. There was an old show, an old, not a show really, not like a sitcom, but it was an old movie. Some of you have heard of this movie called The Wizard of Oz. Have you heard of this movie? And there's a primary character, Dorothy, and Dorothy is in this old farmhouse, maybe like something we might find around Whiting, Iowa, and she's in this old farmhouse, and here comes the twister. Remember, it's the twister, it's the twister. And the twister comes, and it takes the house, maybe you remember this, and the, and the house begins to go in all kinds of circles, and by the time the house lands, she's finally found herself in the land of Oz. And when she gets there, she's landed on the Wicked Witch. Do you remember this? She's landed on the Wicked Witch. And I love it, they, they bring out one of the munchkins. And they bring out the coroner. And the coroner goes over and checks out the Wicked Witch. And he begins to sing a song about the fact that she is undeniably, verifiably dead. You remember that? This is what Paul is saying. He is saying that part of our Gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried. Uh, he says that we are buried uh, to add verification to the idea that Jesus was actually dead. In His humanity, He was undeniably, verifiably dead. If we had to bring that munchkin out on stage and He could go into the tomb of Jesus, He would sing the same song. He is undeniably, verifiably dead. Jesus died. And He was placed in a tomb. And then the story changes. And then there's a shift. It's part of the facts. It's part of the basics and the foundation of the Gospel uh, that we have a message for the world. Jesus died. He was buried. And look at the next verb. He was buried... That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That He was raised. Actually, it ought to be translated that He was resurrected. You see, there's a difference here between uh, one who has been resurrected and one who has been resuscitated. If we look through the Gospels and looked at the stories of Jesus and the miracles that He performed, uh, we know that sometimes uh, there was someone who was dead and that was made alive again. Uh, we recognize that Jesus had the power to do this. 
There were times there, uh, there was someone uh, who was actually in a coffin. Uh, there was the widow, remember, and her son uh, was being carried away. It was as if her future uh, was being carried away. And Jesus comes across and He goes, oh, poor woman. And what does He do? He resuscitates the son. Well, here's the difference between resuscitation and resurrection. If they have been resuscitated, they are going to die again. But if you have been resurrected the way Jesus has been resurrected, what Paul is talking about here, He's never going to die again. So he's not talking about a simple, if there is such a thing as a simple resuscitation, he's not talking about resuscitation. He is talking about resurrection. Uh, Paul's going to go on in 1 Corinthians 15 and talk about the importance of the resurrection uh, for those of us who believe this message of the Gospel. He's going to say, hey, hey. If Jesus hasn't been resurrected, if He's not still alive right now, uh, sitting at the right hand of God, then, then you might as well just go out and, and live however you want. Eat, uh, eat, drink, and be merry. But if there is a resurrection, then you better hold on to these four things. You better hold on to the fact that Jesus died and that He was buried, and that He resurrected. Because He is the first fruit of the resurrection. That means He's the first one to be raised to life, never to die again. And if you have faith in that, if you believe in that, then you also have an opportunity to be resurrected and never die again. To find a new body with God in heaven, in His presence. Paul says, hey, there's some things I want you to know. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected. And look at the last verb. Look at that last thing that He says. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared. He says He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And the last of all, He appeared to me also as one abnormally born. He appeared. And here's what Paul is saying. Hey, this is not a dream. This was no dream. This was not a, a hologram. This was not a vision. This was not something that like, oh, I, I thought I saw something, but maybe it wasn't really there. Uh, no, now, Paul wants to make sure uh, that everybody understands that when Jesus came, when He resurrected, He started appearing to people, and it wasn't a ghost, and it wasn't a mirage, and it wasn't a dream. He, he started showing up and shaking people's hands. And he started showing up to the apostles and he showed up to other people. And, and many years ago, when I was looking at this, uh, someone was trying to give uh, facts about the resurrection. Uh, the idea uh, that the resurrection had to have taken place. And they went to places like 1 Corinthians 15 that begin to talk about the fact that Jesus stood physically in front of them. That He was in the flesh in front of them. And he began to talk about, you know, it would be more likely that if you took the state of Texas and put quarters all over the state of Texas a foot tall, it would be more probable that you could cover the state of Texas in quarters. How many of you know how big Texas is? You know Texas is pretty big? 
If you don't know how te- big Texas is, just go get in your car and drive I-10 all the way across Texas, and then you will know how big Texas is. Okay? So, Texas, you go down to Texas, uh, put a foot of quarters on every inch of Texas. You with me? So then you fly over in an airplane and drop a silver dollar. Just drop it out of an airplane somewhere over Texas. Then when you get out of the airplane, put a blindfold on and start walking. And whenever you stop, you lean down and you pick up whatever you have right there. The chances of you doing that are greater than the resurrection being false. Jesus actually appeared. He showed up. He was present. And not only was He present, Paul's going to make sure that we understand that this was God's plan. This isn't something that God is going, well, I sure hope this works out. (laughs) He's not looking at this going, well, I didn't see Jesus dying on the cross. No. What does Paul say about all of this? He says, this was according to the Scriptures. Look at what he says. He says it right there in verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, what? According to the Scriptures. Uh, What Paul is saying is, hey, I'm going back and I'm looking what God has said and I'm recognizing that the Old Testament, uh, those authors who were inspired by God, uh, were looking ahead to what was going to happen. That God had a plan. That He had a blueprint. That there was something that God was stringing together here. And the focal point, the climax of it all was Jesus. He's saying, hey, there's some, there's some facts, there's some basic foundational elements that you cannot dismiss, that you need, that you need to recognize, that you need to hold on to, that you can't deviate from, and they come in the form of four verbs. And it was all God's plan. Those are the facts. Don't dismiss them. Part of our message is these four verbs. That Jesus died for our sins. That He was buried, that He raised, and that He appeared. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? There's a story to be told. There's a change that's happened. There's a piece of transformation that we can't deny. And Paul begins to talk about it. Actually, Paul begins to say, hey, you know what, I, I was abnormally born. And he gets it a kind of a gruesome term. He talks about a miscarriage. Talks about an aborted baby. And he says, yeah, that's me. And then he talks about Jesus. Look with me. Look, look if you will. Look at verse 8. And he says, last of all, He appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Those two words, abnormally born, kind of hides that, that word about a miscarriage. It hides a word about an aborted baby. But he identifies with the aborted baby. He says, yeah, that's, that's me. I was a miscarriage. I was an aborted fetus. What's Paul saying? 
I think he's saying a couple things. He's going to go on in verse 9 and talk about how he was the one persecuting the church. He's going to go on and say, I, I was the one executing Christians. I was the one trying to snuff out the church. He's beginning to say, hey, who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk that God would have appeared to me? I thought that boat would have sailed. I thought God would have, have said, well, good riddance and kicked me to the corner. He is saying I was dead. But now I'm alive. And Paul begins to say, you know what happens? You know what happens when the Gospel gets into you? There's a term that we have in the church. Maybe you've heard it before. When these four verbs actually begin to sink into your skin, when they get into you, the only term that you can use is grace. God showed me grace. When I begin to think of how bad I was, uh, the fact that I was dead without Jesus, uh, when I think of, of the fact that He actually would appear to me, I think, grace. He says so right there at the beginning of verse 10. Do you read it? He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of, that, all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He's saying, I was changed. My life was transformed. I am different. Oh, who'd have thunk that the person who was going to persecute the church that God would ever use? And church, I've got to be honest with you, it, it got me thinking about my own journey with these four verbs. It got me thinking about the message of the Gospel that's, that's inside of me. I've shared with you before uh, that in my childhood, um, I would lie about things. And my mom one time, because moms are always smarter than their sons, just remember that, sons. My mom one time, she asked me, she said, Mike, are you lying? And I said, I knew lying was bad. So I said, no, I'm not lying. Of course, I was lying about not lying. I said, no, I'm not lying. Now, here's where my mom is smarter than me. She said, Mike, are you fibbing? I didn't know what fibbing was, but I knew it had to be better than lying. So I said, yeah, yeah, fibbing, that sounds good. Yep, I'm fibbing. Church, who'd have thunk that God could take a fibber and make him a follower? This last week, my, my kids were listening to a, a program. It's called Adventures in Odyssey, and they love listening to it. It's this radio show. It kind of tells stories with the gospel meaning, and they talk about lessons about Jesus. And the particular episode of this, uh, this show is about a junior high election. And there's a couple people that are running for president of the junior high in the middle school. 
And they're talking about uh, just how to be filled with integrity and all of that and the Jesus message that comes through. And it got me thinking about a time uh, in my own past when, when I was going to try my hand at politics. I was in seventh grade, and I thought, I'm going to run for student body president. And so I made up signs all over the school, you know, vote Cahill for president. And we handled this really well. I mean, I wasn't the most popular kid, so I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I get the votes. So we wrapped like these suckers. My mom and I stayed up late, and it was before the days of, of, uh, of computers, so she typed out on a typewriter, no lie, she typed out on a typewriter, vote Cahill on it, and, and we stayed up late cutting those things out and taping them on to the sticks of suckers. Vote Cahill for president. And I would go to the school the next day, vote Cahill for president. Here you go. I mean, lots has changed in politics, hasn't it? Here you go. I'm going to give you what you want. And then I found out that in order to finish off the campaign, I had to stand in front and make a speech. I had to be videotaped, and then later on in the day, that video of me speaking would go to all the middle school classrooms on the televisions. Gang, I sat there with a piece of paper in my hand. I could barely get the words out. I was petrified. How is it that God would take a middle school kid that was absolutely petrified and make him a preacher? Church, you have a message that is better than any politician will ever have. You have a message of hope. And it's not founded on a policy, it's founded on Jesus. It's founded on the fact that He died. That He was buried. That He resurrected. And that He appeared. And it's only the message of the Gospel that will transform the world. It's the message of the Gospel that will change people from fibbers into followers. It's the message of the Gospel that, that will change someone who is petrified into a preacher. It's the message of the Gospel that will change marriages and will change, change communities and will change countries and change churches and change marriages. Do you hear it? Paul says don't just share the facts, although hold on to them. He says I want you to share this story. Did you catch what he said in verse 3? He says in verse 3 in chapter 15, I love it. He says, for what I received, 
I pass on to you. Church, you have the message. You've received it. And so will you share it? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are and all that you do. Lord, you have given us this message of hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you will change people as you, we know that you have changed us. Lord, as we have, have you, as we seek to live like the church in a messy world, in a chaotic world, Lord, would you help us to share your message of good news? Would you help us to share ways in which you have transformed and resurrected us? Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We love your good news. Help us to share that message with the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.